Psalm 23. I know when I say football here in Michigan, maybe even in this church, I, I have to either pucker or duck because some of you really enjoy football. Some of you can't stand football. Uh, some of you can endure it a little bit. Some of you are passionate about it all the time. I, uh, I enjoy the fall and the winter, and I enjoy football and pizza and, and all that. I, I just enjoy it. I never played it. My son did. But I just, I just like the, the setting of that. So as a football um, enthusiast, or I don't even say, think I'd use that word, someone that's just kind of a, a fan of my local teens, I am on cloud nine this football season. As I watch my Michigan Wolverines press through a, a perfect season back up to the level where they lost the last two years. Of course, they beat the team from the state south of us uh, again this year, and we got the Big Ten title again and made it to the playoffs, and this time we, we advanced to the final, and we are national champs. I'm having My biggest stressor right now is I'm waiting for everyone to come out with their national champ T-shirts before I choose which one I want to get. And uh, it's just been great and kind of basking in it still. Now, on top of that, when I thought it couldn't get any better, the Lions are playing at Ford Field tonight, the first ever playoff game in Ford Field. Downtown has been on fire this whole weekend and very busy in spite of the cold and the winter weather that has been hitting it. And, and I just can't wait to eat a piece of pizza and watch the game tonight. You say, I don't relate with you. Well, just trust me. I'm having a good time up here. And I, I have to ask, ask the question yet again, not just about Michigan, uh, but, but about uh, maybe the Lions too. Can it get any better than this? Can I even imagine having a better football season than the one I'm having right now? Can it get any better? Now, whether or not you can relate to that with football, I, I, I kind of find myself asking that same question about, well, Psalm 23, after our first three studies through this. Can you imagine it getting any better than what we've seen in Psalm 23? Let me remind you of what's in Psalm 23. Look at the, the text on your, on, in your copy of Scripture as I read the first five verses, what we've already covered in our past three studies. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want, I shall not lack. He makes me lie down... In green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, no harm, for you are with me. We've changed to the first person here now. You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. You read that and you have to ask the question, can you imagine it getting any better than this? The answer, in short, is yes. As good as this has been in these first five verses, my goodness, yes, it only gets better. 
it gets better. The truths we've learned here get better every day of the rest of your life, every week of the rest of your life, every year without exception of the rest of your life, and every chapter between now and death, to say it another way. Whatever you go through, wherever life takes you, whatever you face, the truths of Psalm 23 only get gooder and gooder. Uh, let me remind you where we've been. I'm going to give you a little review before I give you that reminder in your notes. Let's go to the review. First of all, we saw the comprehensiveness of his care in verses 1 through 3. Remember that? I need you to see that again. I need you to see that there were, we asked the question, is he really sufficient for me? That was our question we took to those first three verses. And here's the answer we got. We saw that we get, uh, he makes me lie down in green pastures. That means that he provides a comprehensive contentment. As we review his, the comprehensiveness of his care, we see that the contentment that he provides for us is comprehensive. It's full orb. There's nothing lacking that, uh, that is in the care he gives to us that he provides for us. He makes me lie down in the greenest of pastures. What I need, not always what I want, but what I need to survive and thrive, he always gives. There's never a time when he doesn't. Never. We call that comprehensive contentment. We also see in uh, the second part of verse 2 that he leads me beside quiet waters. What's that? He provides for me comprehensive security. He doesn't lead me as a sheep to a, a raging river with boulders on the bottom where I would easily break my, my legs and drown or be carried away in a current and, 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 and die. He leads me beside quiet waters. I need the waters, but I need to be able to enjoy them and, and know that I'm being guarded while I'm there drinking and vulnerable. He leads me. You'll never face a time in your life where he is not over you, protecting you. It's called comprehensive security. And then we saw at the beginning of verse 3, it says he restores my soul. What's this? This is comprehensive correction. That word restore uh, has an idea of correcting, of coming after. Uh, you're in a bad place and your shepherd comes for you to take you from a bad place to put you in a better place. You say, how did I get in a bad place? Sometimes life deceives you. Sometimes you get a little numb to warnings. Sometimes you rebel and run. And what your shepherd does, and there'll never be a time in your life where your shepherd doesn't do this, he comes for you, comprehensively correcting you out of love. And then we saw at the end of verse 3, he guides me in the paths of righteousness, not for my sake, but for his sake, for his glory. What is this? This is comprehensive guidance. Wherever I need to go, wherever I need to go, he will lead me, not just to make my life easier, not just to, to get burdens off my back. He is leading me where he wants me to go. He's leading you where he wants you to go so that he'll be glorified in the end. And you'll never know a day when he's not leading you. Never. Where he's not guiding you. So you look at verses 1 through 3, and we saw the comprehensiveness of his care. Contentment, security, correction, and guidance that will be rivaled by no one or nothing else. That's the comprehensive of his care, comprehensiveness of his care, verse 1 through 3. We saw 
also the constancy of his care. I mean, we're like, well, great, I'm glad it's so comprehensive, but is it all the time? And in verses 4 through 5, we saw the valley of the shadow of death, and we saw rods and staffs, and then a table in front of enemies, and anointed hair, and an overflowing cup. We saw in verses 4 through 5 that if we want to find out if his care is constant, then let's trust the writer of this psalm, King David, to take us to a place we haven't been yet, and that's to the very threshold of death, and also to the very threshold and faces of our enemies who want to destroy us. Let's take it there. And David, what did you find when you were right up there, right next to death, when you were staring your enemies in the face, what did you find? And David said, you want to know what I found? I found peace and joy. I found his presence with me, verse 4. I found that the rod he used and the staff he used, he used one on me and one on my enemies, they brought me comfort. And that table of my enemy, whatever that means, i got to tell you something. I was a little nervous about going eyeball to eyeball with my enemies, David's saying, but then I realized whose table I was at. I wasn't at the enemy's table, and it wasn't at my table. It was at God's table. These enemies were conquered, and they were watching me feast, the one they wanted to destroy. I've been to the edge of death, David says. I've been eye to eye with my enemies as they've been conquered. And in both situations, I have found that his care was constant. I was never without. You know, it causes us to stop for a minute and say, how how does that compare with your heart idols? How does that compare with your, your heart idols? You say, well, let's get a little specific. Okay. What do you run to or who do you run to when you're afraid? When you really believe you're lacking direction, contentment, security, and correction. What do you run to? We, you know, the reminder in your notes is this. Every sinful choice I make is sourced in idolatry. If I'm not running to this shepherd when I'm afraid of a lack of guidance or correction or contentment, or security, I will run to something else. So how is your heart idol holding up against the shepherd in this series so far? Say, get more specific. How is that drinking working for you? How is that drunkenness working for you? And I'll just cut to the short. It's not. It numbs momentarily, and you have to go back. That's not like your shepherd. How is that hoarding working for you? It's not. Or we wouldn't call it hoarding. You'd finally get the last thing and you wouldn't order anything else, right? There's always more that's needed. It's not like your shepherd. How is that binging going with food? How is that streaming going with the television? How is that scrolling going on social media? How's that working for you? How's overworking in your career working for you? 
How is your controlling working for you? How is self-harm working for you? You see, none of these really work. We run to them and have for maybe months or years, but they never work because we still, afterwards, in short order, aren't content. We don't feel safe. We feel we don't have guidance, and no one cares about me. John Phillips, I think I put this in your notes, maybe not. He writes in his commentary in Psalms, this is something the world cannot give and something it cannot take away. What Psalm 23 is promising you. You know, we look at that and we say, well, too often, you and I can't imagine anything being any better than what we've seen in the first five verses. We can't imagine something so good being permanent. And so the irony is we can get blown away with the first five verses of Psalm 23, this shepherd's psalm of David. We can be so blown away with the clear understanding of it as I pray we've been. But strangely, we'll wipe our mouths, push our, push our, our, our chair away from the table and say verses 1 through 5 was awesome. So cool. It's really true and really good. So good. But then we turn to something else right away. It's like since we plummeted the depths of the truth of the shepherd and his provision, his care, we've hit the wall. And boy, that was a nice trip. That was a helpful series. And then we go to looking for something else tomorrow that will take us to that height. And we know the drinking and hoarding and binging and streaming and scrolling and overworking and harming and controlling won't match it, so we might just try to turn up the volume on, on one of those or look for something brand new. We'll look, that's like, oh great, Michigan won the national championship. That was really a cool season. We'll always remember team 144, right? So I need, I need a new team for next year now. What? No, I don't. It's the same with the satisfaction, the promised lack of wanting with this psalm. So the reminder again is every sinful choice I make is sourced in idolatry. You remember Romans 1.25 for that. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So now I got one verse left. And this verse is going to argue with you to not walk away from what you've learned in this psalm. And so I don't, what I want to do is look at verse 6 with you this evening. And I want you to see that your shepherd's care for you, listen, only gets sweeter for you with the passing of time. As good as it is now, can you imagine it being any better? And the answer is, oh yes. Oh yes. So here in our last part of this series, we're going to consider the crescendo of his care. The crescendo of his care. Now I need to define what crescendo is. This is going to be tricky because I'm not a musician. I was a musician from second grade to fifth grade. 
my mom made me take piano lessons, and, uh, and I, I, I just froze up during recitals. This was in Roseville, Michigan, and, uh, and the only song I can still play with both hands is um, most of the March of the We Folk. I still remember that song. I might play it for you sometime. It actually sounds like a, a horror flick at this point in my mind, but, but I remember something about a crescendo from my music career, uh, but the rest of my family are musicians, and they know fully what a crescendo is. It's not restricted to the world of music, but here's the idea in my words, okay? What is a crescendo? It's, it's where you get more pronounced with the passing of time and the progress. In music, it starts faint, and it builds and builds and builds, and, and uh, uh, different notes brought together, different melodies are brought, and, and it gets louder and louder. No matter what's going on, you can discern something beautiful in the midst of all the noise only getting more pronounced and even taking over as far as volume and attention. You might have missed it at the beginning, but by the end, you cannot miss it. It's building. And that's why I like this word crescendo. It answers the question when it comes to Psalm 23, sure his care, sure your shepherd's care is comprehensive. Sure, your shepherd's care is constant, but does it ever get stale? Does it ever get old? Is there an expiration on it? And the answer is it never grows old. It just gets better. And what was faint at the beginning with the passing of time, listen, becomes defining to you. So I'm just going to give you Three thoughts uh, this evening about this, this crescendo. It's a threefold crescendo. Number one, it's a crescendo of your awareness. A crescendo of your awareness, your awareness of his care, your awareness of his presence in your moments. Uh, the passing of time only, listen, makes you more aware of that. You say, where does that come from? Look at verse 6. First word, actually, surely. It says, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That word, surely. Some of your translations have the word only there. Uh, it can also mean the word, or, or be translated with the word such. In other words, after all the ground we've covered with the psalm writer, David, in verses 1 through 5, he starts his wrap-up with this word that means you can't miss this. This is sure. This is, it, it comes down to this. Grab this, and you understand how comprehensive this is, this crescendo. This care or your awareness of his care, this crescendo of your awareness always stands out. And with the growing, uh, the passing of time, it only stands out more and more. It will not blend in with the unnoticed and the familiar. It will even take over those seasons or those events in your life where you, have, you don't feel safe, you don't feel like you know what to do, 
you don't feel loved. All those times. You know, how many weeks now are we past Christmas? What, three weeks past Christmas? Remember what you got? You didn't know this pop quiz was coming, right? Did you get a book? Did you get a watch? Did you get a flashlight? Did you get a pen? Did you get a, um, a Jeep? <laughs> did you get, what did, what did you get? What did you get? And you're thinking, oh, what did I get? Because we only have to get about three weeks past Christmas, all of us, and suddenly what was so new and shiny and interesting and something we had anticipated has already start to, started to blend in with the unnoticed and the familiar in our lives. It's just the way we are. But not when it comes to the shepherd. It's one thing to know what verses 1 through 5 means. It's another thing to swim and live and sleep in the truths of this psalm and to see that he was there for my contentment and security and correction and guidance. And the more you taste it, the more you want. See? It's not one and done. It's not a buzz, then run. The more you taste, the more you want, and the more you want, the more you notice. And the more you notice, the more you cherish. You say, are we still talking about the shepherd or are we talking about chocolate? Right? You know how that is. That's one thing that doesn't go away with Christmas. The more you taste chocolate, the more you want. The more you want, the more you notice, the more you notice, the more you cherish. For some of you, it's salty stuff. For some of you, it's protein. For some of you, it's coffee. For some of you, it's coupons. I don't know. It's definitely for all of you, the shepherd. I hate to say this, but the most loving thing our shepherd can do for us, if he wants us to cherish him and notice him, is in his kindness make part of the paths that he directs us in to have moments of question, to have moments of vulnerability. To have moments of loneliness. To have moments and seasons of discontentment. And then he opens our eyes to him. And we're like, wow. I got to get more of that. And suddenly we remember to look for him the next crisis. And we find him. Because he's there. And, and, and then here it gets even better from there. Not only are we becoming more and more aware of our shepherd because of the difficult times. We see him not only in our present now, and we're excited about that, but you know after we start doing that for a short time, we start visiting the past again where we thought he wasn't there. And guess what we find? Because I see his presence and his care for me in the present I can look in the past and say, you know what? When I thought I was alone and vulnerable and directionless, I, he was there. I can see him now. And so you start feasting on the, on the past where you hadn't seen him before, and he's everywhere, like he promised. And the past only makes you have keener vision back in the present and a hope for the future. You say, how far into the future? Do I ever right up to that edge of death? 
right up to that point of having to stare your enemies in the eye. There's a crescendo of your awareness. But secondly, there's a crescendo of your satisfaction. You haven't, you, you haven't maxed out yet your satisfaction in the shepherd just because you got through the first five verses. First five verses just warming you up. There's a crescendo of your satisfaction. I, all I know is as, as I read about your shepherd, your Lord, his care for you, his presence in your life, even when you can't see it, but the more you notice it, the more it will eclipse in your heart the idols you have learned to run to. Oh, the, the shadow that's growing over your idols will overwhelm them in your affections. Because everything I keep listing off in my bullet points of different types of heart idols that we can struggle with, he's more satisfying. He's more satisfying. You see, where do you get that? Verse 6. It says, surely what? It says, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. There's two realities here. First of all, there's a lasting joy, right? You see that in the text. Surely, in its goodness. This is an interesting word. It, it's carrying with it the idea of something that isn't just nice. Oh, that's nice. Um, that's, that's, that's a nice sunset. It's way beyond that. It's, it's something that is extremely pleasurable Indeed, it's overwhelmingly beautiful, and you can even find in this word, in its use in the Old Testament, this is something that isn't just a spectator beauty. This is something that brings profit and benefit to me in a gift sense. And my mind finds its way on this point, back to a verse I shared last week, Psalm 1611. You, Lord, will make, me, will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forever. Not just to lighten my load, but just to elevate me when I'm at a low point. You bring me a lasting joy. It says, surely goodness, and look at the next description, and loving kindness, it says in the New American Standard. Um, this is unconditional love. It's a very important Old Testament word, especially if you're a Jew in that day. You see, this is the word that we, it's the Hebrew word chesed. It's, it's, it's covenant loyalty. This is Yahweh saying, I keep my promises to you. I keep my covenant to you. I am loyal to you. This is covenant loyalty. Some translate it steadfast love. And here's an important point about this chesed. The important point is this. It is sourced in his pleasure, your Lord's pleasure, not your performance. How did he stay so loyal to the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament? Right? It's because there's unconditional love. doesn't mean there's not going to be correction. And sometimes the Lord even said, I'm going to turn my back to you, Israel, because you've turned your back to me. 
But keep reading. Right up to the back wall of the Old Testament before you break into the New Testament, Yahweh, the Lord, is coming for his people. There's a crescendo to your satisfaction. It's a lasting joy. It's an unconditional love. And again, I have to ask the question, how are your heart idols holding up to this? Because his is a lasting joy, our heart idolatry delivers only a temporary joy. we got to agree on that. His is an unconditional love. Our heart idols are all about only conditional stuff. You won't get anything until you give. And even what you get will be temporary. So there's a crescendo to your satisfaction. But I'm not done with those two words yet. The verse keeps going. It says, My shepherd's lasting joy and his unconditional love will follow me all the days of my life. Now, I want you to look at that word follow. It's talking about you. It's talking about your shepherd. And it says that your shepherd is going to follow you with his lasting joy and unconditional love for the rest of your life. It's going to follow you. That word follow, that's a fun word. Chase that around in your Bible study with your tools when you get home. It's frequently translated to hunt. I like that. It's also translated often to pursue or to chase. And you know, often it's used, even in the the general neighborhood of this psalm, it's often used with hostile intent. Now, hold your finger here. I want to show you a few of these. Go back to Psalm chapter 7, verse 1. You'll be able to hear where the Hebrew word shows up here. Same word for follow in Psalm 23, 6. Psalm 7, verse 1. Psalm of David. 7 verse 1, O Lord my God, in you I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me. Same word. Deliver me from them. Look at verse 5 while you're in Psalm 7. Let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. Let him trample my life down to the ground and lay my glory in the dirt. What is that? It's that word pursue. It's hostile intent. Look over on the other side of Psalm 23. Go with me to Psalm 31. I'll show you just a few, just a few. I want you to see how this word is translated. Psalm 31, verse 15. Again, we're we're with David in this psalm. I'll start reading verse 14. But as for me, I trust in you, O Yahweh, O Lord. I say, you are my God. Watch this. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who, and here's your word, persecute me. There's a hunting here, a pursuit, a chasing. I'll just show you one or two more. Look at Psalm 34, 14. Here it's used in an ethical sense for you by David. It says, depart, verse 14, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and hunt it. Pursue it. You're on its heels. Let's just go one more over to Psalm 35. Again, a psalm of David. 
And look how this word is translated. Verse 3, draw also the spear and the battle axe to meet those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. They pursue me. Verse 6, let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. I want the, hunted, I want the, hunt, the hunters to be hunted, Lord, by you. Now go back to Psalm 23. Do you, do you feel the energy in this, this word, follow? It's talking about pursuing and hunting. You're so energized by this kind of pursuit, whether you're a ho- you have hostile intent or whether you are pursuing Yahweh or His way, and you are at full speed. And as a matter of fact, if what you are pursuing were to stop, you'd run right into the back of them. There's... This is not passive satisfaction. This is not passive ministry of your shepherd to you. Your shepherd is saying after verses 1 through 5, I am so close to you, if you stop, I'm running into you with my lasting joy and my unconditional love for you. I put this note in your this quote in your notes from John Phillips again in his commentary on the Psalms, on this Psalm, on this verse. He said, hard on our heels come God's two ambassadors, goodness and mercy. Goodness takes care of my steps. Mercy takes care of my stumbles. I like that. Or if I can season that with a little Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon says about this phrase, Goodness supplies our needs, and mercy blots out our sins. Yeah. There's a crescendo to your satisfaction. But there's one more crescendo. It's the crescendo of your worship. The crescendo of your worship, and how beautiful it is to end here. We started just calling attention to my shepherd, your shepherd. It's comprehensively satisfying. And we end in worship. We end in worship. Look at verse 6 again. The last, two, the last two lines. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. All the days, literally. Some of your translation notes say, for the length of days, what does that mean? It means forever. I don't know how to say it any differently. I know what forever means. It means there will not ever be an exception. And, but this forever seems to press out beyond the valley of the shadow of death. Up to that valley, in that valley, and only to blossom more fully on the other side of that valley in his presence. Where in Psalm 17, 15 we read, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness, and I'll be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is, what is this dwell? This is an interesting word you need to think about and It can be translated one or two primary ways. It can be translated to return. I will return to the house of the Lord 
always. Or it can be translated, I will, as it is here in the New American Standard, dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Either way, it's constant worship. Because your eyes are now open to your shepherd in your moments. He's not a weekly hobby to you. He's not restricted to 90 minutes on a Sunday morning, two services on Sunday, or even three or four trips to the church in a week. And the more you see the shepherd, the more, the more you want to be in a state of worship, and if that can be with other worshipers, fantastic. But your eyes have seen his care for you, not only in the present, and not only anticipating the future, but you can look at the past and and that kind of a heart, I'm just telling you, brothers and sisters, at some point will explode. Worship, if you want an easy definition, worship is giving expression to my full heart that's been filled with God's truth. Your shepherd's reality. Came across a little story I want to share with you as we wind this up. An old Scottish man was quite ill and the family called for their pastor to come visit. And, and as the pastor entered the sick room and sat down, he noticed another chair on the opposite side of the bed. A chair which had also been drawn close to the bed. And the pastor says, well, Donald, I see I'm not your first visitor for the day. And the old man looked up and was puzzled for a moment. And then he recognized from the nod of the head that the pastor had noticed the empty chair. Well, pastor, I, I'll tell you about that chair. Many years ago, I found it quite difficult to pray. So, one day I shared this problem with another pastor. And he told me not to worry about kneeling or about placing myself in some pious posture. Instead, he said, just sit down and pull a chair up across from you. And imagine Jesus sitting in it and then talk with him as you would a friend. And the old Scottish man then added, and I've been doing that ever since. A short time later, the daughter of the old Scottish man called the pastor, and when he answered, she informed him that her father had died very suddenly, and she was quite shaken, for she had no idea death would have been so near. And then she continued, I had just gone to lie down for an hour or two, for he seemed to be sleeping so comfortably, and when I went back, he was dead. And then she added thoughtfully, except now his hand was on the empty chair at the side of the bed. Isn't that strange, Pastor? Pastor says, no, it's not so strange. I understand. He knew a shepherd. He knew... What David is not only saying in Psalm 23, 
but he knew what the psalm writer of Psalm 73 was also saying when he said in verses 23 through 28, Nevertheless, I am with you, Yahweh. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel you will guide me, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you, Lord, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Psalm 73, verses 23 to 28. Spurgeon's words come to my mind again. He writes, While I am here, and I have this in your notes, While I am here, I will be a child at home with my God. You could probably just stop the quote there. But he continues, The whole world shall be his house to me. And when I ascend into the upper chamber, I shall not change my company, nor even change the house. I shall only go to dwell in the upper story of the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever the crescendo of his care. Can you imagine it getting any better than it is now? Oh, yeah. On your note page is my humble attempt at visualizing a crescendo with that arrow. Starts quiet with awareness, a growing awareness, and as that awareness begins to crescendo with your age and your walk with your shepherd, there's a growing satisfaction which only produces a growing and intense worship that will only be the first notes when we get to eternity walking with our shepherd so we set out to answer a question four, study, three, four studies ago now three before this and then this final one the question is, is there an answer to heart idolatry of what I will run to that's lasting instead of temporary? Freeing instead of enslaving? Is there an answer to heart idolatry? Well, the answer I hope you have now is yes. It's that old funeral psalm that we don't give attention to until someone dies. But now we've seen that the shepherd's very much alive. And this is a psalm for the living. And it's about the shepherd who is with you for his name's sake. Father, thank you for satisfying us with yourself. It's overwhelming. And just because we got to the end of the psalm doesn't mean we go to the 
find something else that will buzz this well. No, this is something we walk in the rest of our lives. And it will never seem old. It will always read new. And when we get to eternity, what we'll understand at that point, what we'll see, will make whatever path you made us walk worth it. Because we were walking with you, our shepherd. Thank you for this church family. Help us to walk with you this week. Help us not to run back to our heart idols, to what we've normally run back to when we're angry or confused or vulnerable or discontented. Help there be a new track now, worn in the ground, of running to you, our shepherd, and never leaving your side. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. Bundle up.